Christians celebrate. And uh, I really could only nail it down to really two. And then number one, that was, uh, that was when the, the, the scroll was rolled away, right? And there was no one to be found, and the Lamb of God comes forth, right? And there's this, <laughs> yes, finally, the Lamb that was slain before the foundations of the earth. Finally, someone would actually be able to be qualified to cure the curse. And that was questionable, right? But, you know, then you go on and, you, and it's very clear. The, Helens, the heavens celebrate when a soul gives himself to the Lord. Or, right, comes to the Lord. The heavens celebrate. That means the grease that, that, that um, greases the gears of the kingdom is souls. Isaiah says there's an ever, it says Emmanuel, God with us, among many other names, right? He is with us, and their government will be on his shoulders, right? And that government will be an ever-increasing kingdom. That means the kingdom's always on the go. Maybe not you, but the kingdom itself is always on the go. So whether you're four years old in Jesus or you're 40 years old in Jesus, if you lost your fire for souls, you're missing it. Souls. We love the family of God. We must disciple when you come into this house. But if you become complacent and comfortable on what has actually been given to you and what's being cultivated here, we're going to grow dormant. That's it. Period. It will become something else. This is one of the hearts that I felt from last week's message. Let me give you a recap to that. Do you remember the message from last week's message that Pastor Devin and Pastor Kaysen gave? Amen. Calling forth the evangelist. Call him forth. Right? Like he had to be called out. You ever had to be called out for something? Yeah, yeah. You knew you should do it, you know, but you needed just a little, you know, encouragement, right? Or a kick in the right direction. Yes. Glad, because you've said no, then we got another issue about lying to yourself, and that's just a different message. Amen? Last week's recap, calling forth the evangelists. Pastors told us that Matthew 9 talked about a harvest, that it was plentiful. But, if it was, but it was the workers that were few, not the low-hanging fruit that's out there ready for you to pick. What was the answer to that? It was the workers. Isaiah 6 and Timothy, 2 Timothy 4 went on to say in this phenomenal message that they so graciously gave to us, right? Those workers were not just for you to turn around and lay down the work that was given to you, but workers that would come along and help you accomplish what you could not accomplish by yourself. Wow, good word. Half of you were not there because you were plagued with other things other than the Spirit of God at the moment. It was something real that need, needed to be delivered from. So you can go back and listen to that message because that's why we record them. We don't, have an, we, we don't record messages for our online ministry. We record them for accountability and for you to be able to listen to when you're on your sickbed. Do you remember Isaiah 61? It was clear that we are the anointed corporate body that's been anointed with a supernatural gift from God called His Holy Spirit. Do, do you, we are the body of Christ. The head is sitting in the heavens, and the body is here. You're the body of Jesus. That means everything that he did when he came was telling you what you should do while you get to live here. Is, is Jesus depressed? 
Is he just morbidly sitting on his throne? Like, I'm, I'm just, just patience is wearing thin for these people. No. <laughs> you think he's full of joy? You think he's full of power? You think he's full of anticipation of the next soul that comes in? Then you just got your marching orders. That's who you're to be. On the day that something else is speaking to you, do not negotiate with that. Put it on, under your foot where it belongs, right? Your foot on the enemy and say to hell with that and to heaven with the earth. Amen. Amen? Saints, we must break the bondage of fear and self-preservation. That's what was spoken to us. In order that we might live a lifestyle of evangelism that looks just like Jesus did. Not your 12-step do this or not your conference where you go to get your... No, just do what Jesus did. You don't have to pray about that. You can read about it. The, pa the pastors told us very clear, and listen to me this morning, because if we won't move, he won't move. If we won't move, he won't move. And the church, the, the body of the living God, if they do not evangelize, will fossilize. Good word, men of God. Saints, Jesus told us in Matthew 6 that we are the salt of the earth. Do you remember? Right? We here at Remnant Church believe that there is an issue in the body of Christ that must be rectified, and we're okay with standing up and stepping up and saying something about it, no matter the persecution it brings. Because if you went to a doctor, you would not, you would not want him to just say, oh, you're okay, let me give you a big hug. No, you'd say, hey, there's some cancer in there, let's get it out. It's going to be rough, but we believe that if we point it out, call it out, we can put the hands on it that will cure it, and you don't have to walk like that anymore. Amen? Amen. Mm. Well, we believe that there have been many well-meaning men of God that's come before us, right? But when we stop reaching out and crying out and calling forth the evangelists, calling forth those who are not receiving what you have this morning, then men of God will become a monument, put their name on it. Celebrate it. When they die, people will celebrate them. I don't think those men of God that actually did something with the kingdom would appreciate that. I love the efforts. I love the efforts of Billy Graham. And I was really grieved when I saw a statue of him. I don't think that he would actually appreciate that. It misses the point. It deflects from actually the work of God that was going on in his life. Do you know that the, at the end of his life? That he said it would be better, he would rather have a handful of actual authentic disciples in one city than he would to see soul safe on the entire planet. That's interesting coming from a man like that. He learned something along the way. Saints, the Protestants have long lost their protest. The Baptists have all but seceded the fight to a form without the power. The Pentecostals have chosen tradition over transformation. That is the truth. And praise God, you're not children. You're men and women of God. You can receive truth this morning. Amen. Amen. The charismatics have mostly surrendered to fairy tales and fuzzy feelings, cultivating concerts instead of practicing his presence. That is the truth. But you, <laughs> you are the answer. Saints of the living God, set apart ones for God's use. Many of you are here because you have participated in those things. And you got frustrated along the way, and so you just kind of went and did your own thing. You threw the baby out with the bathwater, and the Lord says, no, you cannot do that. 
The Messianic believers have blurred the lines by thinking that even though they were born a Gentile, that somehow or another they have become olive-skinned, circumcised Jews. That does not help. It hinders. Paul's letters, saints, were written as though Messiah were coming any day. Do you realize that? The Dead Sea Scrolls that we benefit from revealed a people who were on the move in a desert separating themselves from the world because they believed the end days were upon them. I actually think it's not wise for you to move into a desert, so I wouldn't do that. But I would counsel you to walk in the same attitude, understanding the urgency that is among us. Why would people live under such an urgency? Maybe it's because they were remembering and reflecting upon the words of Jesus. John 4.35 says, do not say, is there four more months to the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white with harvest. I guess that was just good for them, not now. Maybe it's more true then or now. More true now. Saints, those who have lived and died before us did not know the day nor the hour, just like you don't know the day nor the hour. But you know what? They didn't let that cause idleness in their life. They actually used it to their benefit, and it caused something in them to be fueled, and their fire was fervent, and their fire was hot. At what point, is that good for like, you know, oh, that's for a five-year-old Christian. What about you 50-year-old Christian? It's more true now than it was then. Or it's at least equally true, amen? Matthew 24, 36 in ESV says, but concerning the day and the hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, not even the Son, but the Father only, only, Get that for a minute. Even Jesus does not know the day or the hour. And what did he demonstrate? He demonstrated he's living his life 100 today, not reserving something for tomorrow in eager anticipation of the Father to be known among the earth. Wow. Saints, the harvest is more ready now than ever. It's more Ready now than ever. Each one of you are responsible for reaping the harvest to be able to lay at the feet of King Jesus. He's coming. He left off in, in the last chapter of Revelation, said, I'm coming soon. Three times, I'm coming soon. I'm coming soon. Amen. Pastor Devin and Landon told us that the beginning of wisdom for the lost is the fear of God. Somebody say amen. amen. But the beginning of fruitfulness for the redeemed is when you live a life to win souls. They pointed out to us Proverbs eleven thirty that said the fruit of righteousness is a tree of life. And whoever captures souls is wise. I'd hate to say what the opposite of that is. Saints, the hour of his coming, the hour of Messiah is quickly approaching. Your appointment with the maker is at hand. Whether you serve him, believe in him or not, 
You, do you know that it doesn't require you to believe in Jesus for him to be real? <laughs> it's just true. Every man will give an account for the deeds while done in the body. A conversation will be had with what you did, with what you have been given, called this gift of life. Last week's message was heart-wrenching because that's what it takes to awake dormant souls. Last week's message was piercing because that is what it takes to push a man a mile so that he'll move an inch. Last week's message was moving. Well, this week's message isn't going to be any different. This week's message title is the 11th hour. Turn with me to Luke chapter 5 and verse 33. You can say the 11th hour when you get there because you aren't spectators, you're participators in the presence of God and the work that he's doing on this earth, right? Some of us understand the 11th hour, a little more than the third hour than most, because maybe we have some experience in life or in this experience called humanity than others, don't we? Then you should be the first one to be attentive to what the Lord's saying this morning. And then those of you that are uh, trailing a little bit behind, I promise the Lord's got a word for you today, too. Amen means I agree. So remember, you said that. <laughs> Chapter five and verse thirty three. Of Luke says, and they said to him, the disciples of John fast often and offer prayers. And, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. <laughs> I love it. It's kind of a foreshadow of the kingdom to come. And Jesus said to them, yeah, yeah, eating and drinking in the presence of God. Can you make wedding guests fast? While the bridegroom is still with them. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them. And then they will fast in those days. What are those days? That is these days. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them. And then they will fast in those days. Verse 36. He also told them a parable. A little something to get your attention. To slow you down for a minute and get you to think. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on a old garment. If it does, he will tear the new and the piece from the new will not match the old. Verse 37 is particularly interesting this morning. And it says, and no one puts new wine into old wine skins. If he does, the new wine will burst and skins uh, burst the skins and it will be spilled. And the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. I love what 39 says because we often just stop there and don't move on. It says, <laughs> and no one after drinking that old wine desires the new because the old is better. This, we're going to move on from this scripture because we're going to give it some circular validation, meaning we're going to come back to it at the end of this message. 
And we're going to build a little context for you so that you can really understand what's going on here. But before we do, I want to tell you two things from this particular passage. Number one, in this passage, Jesus is clearly telling us, hey, something is not right. And we would do well to live our lives like that instead of faking it till we make it. It's better to live in the truth that says when Messiah comes, it will be amazing. But until then, I will live a fasted lifestyle that says I will endure in all things, give all things to do all things that are necessary to win souls along the way. At you this morning. The second thing that it says before we move on, it's clear. You cannot, somebody say cannot. cannot. You cannot put new wine into old wineskins. It is impossible. Wow. When Jesus gives you a fresh revelation, a fresh vision, or, or a fresh direction to obey, it will not fit into your current lifestyle. It cannot be. That means you cannot remodel. It's the reason. It's the reason that the Reformation is off track now, but because they tried to reform something that was corrupt. It would have been better that they just built instead of rebuilt. Some of you just need to scratch it, tie, uh, cut ties with, with what you're tethered to, and move on. And the Lord will supernaturally build upon his foundation. You cannot remodel. You must relocate. Good seed doesn't flourish in bad soil. You must move into something brand new. Some of you are wounded and hurt because you, stay, you stayed in something for too long. When you should have just moved on. Call it what it is. Not God. And move on. Well, that takes faith, doesn't it? Anybody got a relationship in here? One that you're like, it's good, but not 100% good. Then move on. God will raise up for what, what you need when you need it. God makes everything beautiful in his time. His time. We can't aim for reformation, right? We just have to repent, <laughs> recalibrate, and follow him. Amen? Amen? Saints, this is not about going from something bad to good, because that's what you're thinking about right now. It's from going from glory to glory. You understand that? The Bible says we, we live in, in going from glory to glory, meaning like something was good for a time until God said there is something new. We always want to... If you constantly leaving things because they're bad, think about what's trailing behind you. Glory to glory. Man, that was good. That was God. And the river dried up. And he pushed the prophet into the sea. From glory to glory. Man. Man, wasn't it good that Jesus gave his life and right, died for your sins? Isn't it even better that he got about the grave? You know why he did that? Because when you were in your grave and you say, I'm with you wherever you're at, Lord, he says, I can't be there because I'm not there anymore. I already did that. You want to be with him wherever he's at and step with him? Then you must get up out of your grave. John 5, 19 says this. 
truly, truly, like it's the truth, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has, possesses eternal life. Man, you don't feel like that on some days, do you? Well, then stop consulting your feelings because they're lying to you. And it'd be good for you not to be led by them because they could be lying to you. He does not come into judgment, but he has passed from life to death. Most of you in here have passed from life to death. Some of you in here wish you would pass from life to death, but you're not willing to follow the one that can do that. Truly, truly, verse 25, I said to you, an hour is coming. You're like, oh, man, praise the Lord. And now is here. Oh, whoa. When the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear, Shema, listen with the intention to do what he says, will live. Man, so many people are living and call this thing life, and you know good and well what you're living is not life. You've settled for less than what the King of Glory has purchased for you. But you don't have to do that any longer. You can choose life. Saints, when you denounced your allegiance to the devil and your flesh, you went from death to life. Can I get an amen? Amen. From your self-centered kingdom to a God's son-centered kingdom, you went from death to life. Somebody say amen. amen. The hour has come, he says. Not will come, now has come. Now has come, now has come, now has come. You ever anticipate something and all of a sudden you're like, whoa, it's here. Yeah, that's the kingdom of God, the power of God, the resurrection power of God, life-giving power, direction, answers, healing. Saints, you are those who God is using to plunder hell and populate heaven. That's the truth. That's the truth every day. It wasn't true just the first day. It's not true just today. It'll be true for every day that you live your life. You are set apart, filled with the Holy Spirit, the spirit of set apartness, set apart for God's use. This life is fleeting. Time is ticking away. You have little time left. What are you doing with the life that was given to you? Are you wasting it on him? When I read John 5, I feel an urgency in his statement. <laughs> Can you feel that, right? I'm, I'm just transferring impact to you this morning. Reading the scripture, letting engage with it and say, hey, I'm going to just say what your spirit says to me when I'm reading the ho- my Bible in the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Is that okay with you this morning? Yeah. Let's just share some of my thoughts with you. Wow. Can you feel the urgency in John 5? Then why is it that we constantly corrupt the gospel with removing the urgency from it? You say, I don't know how to do that. Oh, yeah, you do that. I believe it's because we live in such an anxiety-filled world that we can't take much more. And so then we equate urgency with anxiety because the culture that we've built propagates it, populates it in our heart. And if I read something that says I need to get out and do something with my faith, I actually have to act upon something. If I read the word and it demands a response... I actually have to do something about that. I can't just call upon the grace of God, right? Some kind of like grace period for sin. I actually have to do something with that. I think we can't carry the urgency of God because our anxiety tank is so full that it in and of itself creates a anxiety that you should be able, cap- capable to carry, but you're like, no, no, thank you. That can't be God. 
Jesus paid it all. Yeah, he did. And for those too that you need to, that need you to bring the message to them. Now you'd be mad if the mailman down the road was employed to deliver the mail but never really brought it to you, right? <laughs> Some of you complain about Amazon all the time. I know it. <laughs> right? Complaint, return, complaint. Right? You didn't come in time. You said overnight it was actually a day and a half. I also believe it's because it disturbs our corner lives that we work so hard to live to really create an acceptable speed in which we can run. Don't lie, you're Americans. Right? Jesus saved me so that I could have divine discernment to be able to cultivate a life that I can live at third speed so that I can make it to the end because if I lived at six speed, I'd really have to like depend upon his supernatural spirit. Or I want a moderate dose of the Holy Ghost instead of the fullness of Jesus. I mean, that's really what we want. Lord, fill me with your spirit, but don't make me speak in tongues. <laughs> fill me with your spirit, but I mean, like, don't make me say anything, tell nobody, right, or do anything with it. Fill me with your spirit, but don't ask me to go lay hands on that person and, and, and believe they'll get out the wheelchair. Don't do that, Lord. That's for those people. That's the truth about your flesh. Is it okay I tell you the truth this morning? Yeah. I'm talking about me too, I promise. Amen. Amen. That's why the Christian's only hope is the infilling and empowerment of the Holy Spirit, period. And the only hope for the lost is those spirit-filled people being empowered by that spirit, carrying the, to them the same message of reconciliation and empowerment into obedience. Wow. Is that the marks of the church in our generation, saints? Power? Do you see power breaking out everywhere? Are we praying for it? Do you see a revolution of holy living? Or are you praying for revival? If you're praying for a revival, that means it's not vibing. We don't see that marked upon the body of Christ today, and it creates an urgency in those who care. We want revival now. We want your spirit poured out. You sing it. It's not a lip service, is it? No, it's a prayer. We see, we see prestige, pomp, and pageantry everywhere. But do we see the presence of God supernaturally empowering people that are going out of their house and saying, man, I got a lunch break at work and I can't wait to get out and go find somebody who needs what I have. The generals are done. They're, they're done. Leonard Ravenhill was a general. He sent forth this message everywhere, but he's with Jesus now. He's ran his race. What about you? He said the, the church was married. The original church, first century church, was married to poverty, prisons, and persecution. But today's church is married to prosperity, personality, and popularity. That's a word that echoes from generation to generation to generation. And the man has laid down his torch and he's waiting for somebody else to pick it up. Greater than that, Jesus was penniless and homeless. He was hated. He was persecuted. He was spit upon. He was crucified. But he was powerful beyond belief. 
powerful beyond belief. Maybe he's trying to show you how to be powerful too. Matthew 11, 11 says this in the ESV. But to what shall I compare this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to their playmates. We played a flute for you, but you, you did not dance. We sang a dirge for you, and you did not mourn. For a giant came neither eating nor drinking. And they say, well, that dude's got a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they said, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard. You don't call a man a drunkard that doesn't drink wine, just saying. A friend of tax collectors and a friend of, of sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Saints, when you play a wedding song and no one sees a reason to celebrate, or you play a funeral tune and no one mourns, something is not right. It creates a fantasy world you like to live in because you really want to seclude yourself from the world instead of separate yourself unto God's will. John would have been suitable to the Baptists or the Pentecostals because he didn't drink alcoholic beverages. But you know what? At the same time, they would have called, turned around and called him demonic because they didn't like how he danced or shouted or preached when they realized that he actually believed in the baptism of fire. Jesus would have been accepted by the Charismatics and the Messianics because he did not drink, eat. And they might have been even okay with the way he danced because he might have been a little bit stoic, but I don't think so. But later on, they would have rejected him because of the company he kept. Because of the company he kept. Dylan Hutchinson got an inlet to a man's heart sitting around a, a fire at a cigar lounge the other night where we were roped in to a, a conversations with five or six people. They did not love the Lord. But we did. And so we did what we do. We just shine. Something is wrong when our churches are filled with just Christians, saints. Something is wrong when we aim to fill our churches with believers instead of fill our city with transformed unbelievers. Something is wrong when our lives make sense to those unbelievers. Something is wrong when all of your friends are saved. Something is wrong when the mentality that creates that type of culture dictates your decision making. Something's wrong. But you know what? <laughs> Something's right also. Something's right when unbelievers are skeptical about your way of life. Something is right when the religious are critical of the pace in which you follow Jesus. Something is right when your churches are full of sinners that are being discipled by Christians that overcome that same sin. Something's right. Something is right when your friends are questionable and your family is not. Because you know, you live in the family of God. Why do you think that Jesus' last commission to us was go and make disciples? Because disciples aren't born, they're made. And if you don't make them, who will? Saints, if you have been born again and lived more than three years, is that 
in the, in the kingdom? Raise your hand. And I have not made one disciple? Then you're behind the mark. And I'm here to tell you today it's the 11th hour. It's the 11th hour. It is not the third hour. Parents, I'm not talking about you and your children. They had to follow you because you fed them and housed them and you spanked them. I hope you spanked them. But have you produced others that did not come from your body that are better than when you started? Have you leveraged your life to someone else who is trying to follow Jesus, not really sure about it, falls down at times, and because of you, they learn how to get up, stand up, and be filled up, and move forward. Then you have made a disciple. Praise God. Because you fulfill a commandment. <laughs> wow. You know what a disciple is, right? Someone who is like attracted to the Jesus that's in you. Who loves to follow your lead because they have learned to trust your life. Not just you and your humanity, but the divinity at work in you. Someone that is so inspired by your life that they actually want to hang around you. Someone that is affected more by the transfer of inspiration from your life than the transfer of information flowing out of your mouth. They can get that on Google. And when they do, then Google becomes God and well, that's on you. Someone that is becoming family to you, like, like not a cliche token kind of thing you put on the back of your bumper sticker, the body of Christ is a family. Oh, you'll know a family when you're in one, because some days you like them, some days you love them, and other days, you, well, you just don't. <laughs> wow. This is what it's all about, saints, and we, we got to get back to the heart of worship. And see, you equate worship with music. No, it's much more than that. Proverbs 11.30 said to us, the fruit of righteousness is a tree of life, and whoever captures souls is wise. Right? Anybody ever eat fish? Yeah. Somebody else captured it for you, but you ate it? Yeah, we got to get past that, saints. You got to go capture some souls. It's a tree of life, it says. That, that to me, that sounds like a community of people that create refuge. But what good is the tree if it doesn't drop any fruit? It's just a gathering place where you die in the elements because it's good for a time. But before long, you have no nourishment because they're not reproducing. That tree of life is a family of souls. It is what you were. But now are. Death to life. Saints, that is what each and every one of you are called to be a part of this morning. That is what each one of you are called to participate in a tree made of many branches. Amen. Yeah. Placed in one place. Somebody say one place. one place. Now, let me ask you something. How important is it that we spend our lives, spend our savings, spend our resources, spend our energy, spend our talents, building the community, not of spectators, but of participators that your Bible calls workers. Some of your translation says laborers. How important is that? It's everything. You already been given salvation. What are you going to give back? You can't. What do you give the king? He, there's nothing you can give him. You know what he loves? He loves for you to give others. 
He loves for you to spend your resources, your life, leverage yourself, right? So others might have an easier route than you did to get here. Wow. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 20, where we're going to camp today, and then close back out with the scripture in which we started. Man, somebody's listening. That's good news. Matthew 20, verse 1. In I'm reading out of the ESV. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning. Somebody say early. Early in the morning. And he did something. He went out to hire laborers for his vineyard. Wow. I want to point something out where we're going to start this morning because we're going to walk through this. But it says that he went out early in the morning. In your Bible, that's the first hour, around 6 a.m. How many of you are up at that time? Mm, I got that. Y'all got an anointing I don't know anything about. Let me ask you something. How many of you were saved by God for God? How many of you know you were saved by God for God? Yeah. Not saved by works, but indeed saved for works. Saints, when we pay a price for something or for someone's time, what do we call that? We call them laborers, employers, employees, hired, right? Have you ever paid for somebody's time? When we pay a price for someone's time, we call them laborers. This passage is going to go on to tell you that you were hired when you were paid for by the bloodshed on the cross. I had a question for you. How much, how much more would you require Jesus to pay you for your labor? How much? Personally, I feel like I've been overpaid. Anybody with me? Yeah. Laborers, it says. Laborers. Saints, we hate that word because we think that that has something to do with earning your salvation. But those who have journeyed a long time in salvation understand that has nothing to do with salvation, but rather what you do with it. This is talking about what you do with your salvation, what has been gifted to you, how to actually live in the vine, to live inside of this thing that you have been invited into early in the morning. It says that the master, the master of all men, went out early. Saints, that's the first watch. That's dawn. That's early when some of you are up. We have been given an invitation to come and work in the vineyard. This is what this parable is telling us. One that would make some of the finest of fermented beverages. New wine, it says. New wine. Somebody say new wine. New wine, new wine must be placed in new wine skins. I heard said somewhere. The master's business was to invite 
and find people that would be willing to subject themselves to a life cultivating something that would in the end become old wives. Think about that for a minute. The first watch was around 6 a.m. ish, and that means that, the pe that these people would have had to make the choice to awaken from their sleep or to remain asleep in the light. What an inter interesting challenge. Have you ever been there? Do you remember when you were first awakening or awakened to the truth? Do you remember? Has it been too far? You should probably repent and reflect so that you might be rejuvenated. Do you remember when you first devoted your life to Jesus? And the way that was devoted to him now becomes yours. If not, then you know what? That means you're still asleep in the light. Or sleep in the night. You must awake because the hour is at hand and it might just be your finest hour. Look what he goes on to say. He says in verse two, after agreeing with these laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard and going out about the third hour. Somebody say the third hour. He saw others standing idle inside of a marketplace. And to them, he said, <laughs> you go into the vineyard, too. And whatever is right, I will pay you. How many of you ever agreed for a fair wage? How long did you go before you wanted to get paid more? <laughs> yeah, something's not right. Verse 2 says, don't you feel like the eternal life you received in exchange for your temporal life you gave away to Jesus was a fair wage? Nah, at least he says that to me. For whatever may be asked of you in the future has already been paid for. If that's not true, then why do we see we're looking for favorable circumstances, right? And the favor of God clearly in front of us to move forward in faith. Right? You're like, I don't know. That's a, I don't do that, right? But then you ask something more of God before you actually do what he asked you to do. I want favor, Lord. Anybody ever pray for favor? I'll pray for favor. Lord, if that if favor's on that, I'm going to do it. Really? <laughs> no, 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 no. No, if the opportunity for faith is there, I'm going to do it. And then I know your favor will come. Not the other way around. Wow. Saints, if we're honest, it's because we are making sure that we get paid for our efforts. But you've been already paid, right? Verse three. In the first hour, watch this. He invited those who needed to be awakened. But in the third hour, he paid wages to those who were standing around idle and doing nothing. <laughs> He's got some different qualifications than I have. I'm not going out looking for the lazy dude on the side of the road. I'm looking for somebody who's working and trying to poach him. You know what I'm saying? The Lord doesn't think like me. I need to learn to think like him. Wow. You know, it's a funny thing. I, I really think that's most likely what uh, we find in today's modern evangelical marketplaces as well. People doing nothing with what has been graciously given to them. It hurts to watch that. Of course, y'all don't want the truth. They just want me to say something pretty to you this morning. It's not you, saints. It's not you. If that was you, you'd go find the, the most prettiest little building out there with a steeple on it today. To tickle your fancy. 
but you didn't. You came to a humble little place in the city of Denton that's going to make the most impact in this place. Just saying. We are like those who answered the call to do the work in the vineyard. Amen. Amen. Right. Yeah. You're those workers, those laborers. And listen to what he says to those type of workers. I will give you what is right. Not what is fair. What is right. Man, the vineyard begins to just immediately have a work on the people that it invited. (laughs) Romans 623 says the wages of sin is what? Death. The wage is a payment for your efforts. And you know what? When you realize that because of sin, that's what you really deserve is death instead of life. You'll be just fine receiving what's right instead of what's fair. (laughs) You know what, Lord? I'll just take what's right. We'll forget about what's fair. That argument's over. I know what I deserve. I'm going to receive what you deserve. And so they went. I would too. Going out again, the sixth hour, he does the same thing. Saints, you ever wonder why the master didn't just hire enough laborers the first time? He knew the work. It was extensive. Why didn't he hire them the first time? Doesn't the master know the amount of work that needs to be accomplished? Of course he does. Saints, as a pastor and a church planter, I've, I've noticed a little bit of wisdom of God. Can I share it with you this morning? Yeah. The truth is that those hired at the first hour show up solely by invitation, but because, be, become burdened when they see that the work that is needed is far beyond what they could actually do, and they're the ones that start praying for the souls. There's incentive there. And you know what? The Lord answers the call. They're the ones who labor the most with the least tools. Some of you have been there. Some of you have been there with us. They are the ones who labor the most with the least tools, but it makes them the ones who genuinely pray and pay the most for those who could possibly come next. But they become weary in the waiting, saints. They become weary in the waiting until fresh legs show up. And what happens if they don't pray for them? The scripture doesn't say that the workers of the vineyard went out again. It says that the master of the house went out again. And again, and again, and again, because his kingdom is ever increasing and his work will not stop even though you do. Wake you up to the reality of who you were created by and for. Can you feel it? He's hidden. Wake up. Wake up. Wake up. Wake up. Wake up. And finally, you begin to breathe. Saints, I'm here to tell you today, he's worth everything every time. Friends, he says to you, He's pleading with you. He's trying to speak to you like the world does not so that you can get it. Jesus is telling you to pay attention that you don't have much time left. The truth about modern man is that we have at best seven tens. I'm into my fifth. 
Working on my fifth 10. That means I got about two left. What about you? What are you going to do with those last two? If you got any left, you got enough. If you got any left, you got enough. What are you going to do with that 10 that you have or the multiple tens that you have? He can do more with your little than you can do with your lot, period. He's the master of all men. He's the one that invited you into the vineyard in the first place. He's the one that's calling out to your heart right now and pleading you to come. Listen to the voice of the Spirit this morning, saints. Stop settling. Live unsettled. Live on the move. Put in the practice what's given to you, and if you got breath in your lungs, you got something to give. Your well-calculated lives are carnal lives. Jesus didn't live that way. He did not live that way. Jesus clearly said the hour is at hand. First Thessalonians 5 speaks to this in verse 2 when it says, For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. I don't care how discerning you are. While people were saying there's peace and security, turn on CNN, Fox News, they'll get it all. They spin it every way that they can to get you to stay on the hook. Then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you, somebody say, that's me. That's right, that's you. But you, you are not in darkness, brothers, for the day will not surprise you like a thief. For you are children of the light, not, you are children of the light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us awake (laughs) and let us be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, well, they get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet of the hope of salvation. You have salvation, but you receive it and put it on like a helmet, and you go out, and you give it to someone else. You shine it around, and they say, Why are you walking around here with a helmet on? That's just silly. And you're like, no, it's not silly. It's salvation. Let me tell you about it. And you start to speak the oracles of God and starts to speak to the transmitters in their brain. And it's like, you're really messing with my corner life. I'm not really sure whether I want to answer that. And then they end their conversation, don't they? Saints, when I read this passage, I feel a sense of urgency in Jesus' voice. Is that just me? When I read this passage, I hear the sound of an eternal clock winding down. You ever hear no clock? When I read this, I get this feeling that Jesus is saying to us, we do not know the time nor the day, but we must not waste time because souls are weighing in the balance. Do you care? Do you care? Oh, I care for my family and that one that I made a relationship. But do you care about the one you dab not? 
You're here because I cared about you. They'll be here when you start caring about them. Verse 6, the 11th hour. And about the 11th hour, he went out and he found others just standing around. And he said to them, something he didn't say to the rest, why? Why? He held them accountable. Why? Why do you stand here idle? All day long. And they said to him, it's probably because of you, because you didn't hire us. And he said to them, all right, then. Try this, you all. Go work in the vineyard. I love that. I mean, he didn't correct them. He invited them. (laughs) I told you he thinks different than me. Saints, I believe this is our generation. The sun is setting outside. It's getting harder and harder and harder to see. Those outside the church are standing idle inside of a marketplace where the lost are. And they're just standing around idle, numb, desensitized, overstimulized, intoxicated, following in a spirit of self-ambition. Those working inside the vineyard love it. Oh, we love it. They love it there. But we're petrified by the idea of going out with the master to recruit the workers. They have become that, or we, let's just say we, let's do that. Let's speak to us this morning. We become those awkward, unsocialized, homeschooled children of the light. And we're gripped by fear of what that we might find in the darkness. So we just want to hang out with our people, but not really bring the presence of God where it needs to be. We've hidden our lights and justify it. We have forgotten that we were those who had no light at times. We've forgotten how to shed our light. So why be so afraid of the darkness? What did the 11th hour laborers say? We want to be hired, but no one will hire us. Why? Because they had to wait on the master to do work of a thousand workers. Thank you for saving me, Jesus. I love the community of God. Thank you for putting me in a place that I can purge and purify the sin out of my heart. I appreciate that. I love you. I thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And he's like, anyway, you're going to turn that into action? Like, I know you're thankful for me. I get it. You have told me 1,000 times over while I'm out here inviting souls. Stop telling me thank you and show me that you're thankful. Go and get in step with my ever-increasing kingdom. Go win souls. Everyone loved to tend their own garden, but no one loves to invite others into it. That's because you think they're pestilent, not people. 
wouldn't somebody really want to be invited into the beautiful life that the Lord's given you? You probably don't invite him because you don't think it's beautiful and you need to get right with the Lord. Wow. And I think a lot of other people would be here if you stopped waiting on the master to invite them. Just give the invitation. It was freely given to you, right? Then stop charging them for it. Romans 10, 14 says, how then will they call upon him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him on whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? You think what I'm doing is preaching. No, what you do when you walk out those doors and give somebody the light that you have, that's preaching. You realize preaching is not an officer. It's a command. And all of you are preachers. How long has it been since you preached? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? You're sent. That's it. Stop arguing. It's done. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. Man, even some of you more seasoned men got some beautiful feet in this place. You are those 11th hour laborers, saints. You are you were once desired by God. Now you've received that and now you desire to be with him and have an invitation. But it's not yours to keep, it's yours to give away. You once desired to have what is happening right here in this place right now. Amen. You once dreamed of a family like this, and now you have the chance to be part of it. And guess what? Remnant is quickly becoming just like Matthew 20 in the vineyard. They are the first hour laborers sitting right here in this room. And they wouldn't dare to be recognized. They're the third hour laborers right here. That have come here because of them. They're the ninth hour believers that are fresh legs. You know why? Because there's a greater work to be harvested in this place. But the master of all men has brought us. Somebody say us. Us here today because we are the 11th hour laborers being gathered to bring in a generation called a harvest for God. And let me ask you something. What kind of harvest is he getting? Is it wilted and wounded? Or is it going to be a beautiful harvest that you lay at his feet because of the work that you did on his behalf? The 11th hour laborers are those who can feel the urgency in our time to win souls at all costs. Something funny about some of those who are in here that are a little more mature in life than others. Stop to, stop to care about all of the other stuff that you used to think would bring you life because you realize it doesn't anymore. And so you just cut it off and free yourself that you might actually be useful for the king. The 11th hour laborers can feel the anticipation of revival among the believers and a revolution to the loss. You can feel it. If you can feel that, you may just be the 11th hour laborers, saints. 
The 11th hour labors bring fresh zeal. They bring fresh fervor. They bring fresh fire because they understand that the time is short. And that is what I love about finally seeing the plus 40 crowd kind of trickling in here, showing up in our city. Because the older you get, the less games you're playing with God. And the less pampering you are doing in your life. Because you are realizing that all that stuff is just ankle weights in the kingdom. Of those beautiful feet that you've been given. You just want to see a beautiful harvest reap for the king, don't you? Don't you? Don't you? Well, then here's the truth we must get in this critical hour. Are you with me this morning? It's not those outside of the vineyard that are feeling this urgency. It's those who have been working inside of it that do. Because we, have been, we are being invited into the end goal. The process that takes place after you've answered the invitation. You see, the vineyard removes the vanity left in your life. The vineyard is the only thing that removes the vanity left in your life. Because the invitation was never about what was produced from the vineyard, but rather what it produced in those working inside of it. Outside's no hope unless the workers go and give the invitation. Inside's the hope, but the hope is that you work the vineyard. In Matthew, in verse 8, it says, And when evening finally came, the only owner of the vineyard said to the foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now, when those hired first came, they thought that they would receive more. Man, there's a lot of things that grow in the vineyard over time. It just depends on what labor you are and what. We're talking about. But each of them also received a denarius, and on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house. And they said this, these last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us. Oh, man, that's so much of our pastoral work. <laughs> Who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. Saints, an, honor, an honest pastor will tell you that younger sheep are much easier to work with than older sheep, period. I hope that that doesn't remain true for your older sheep in here. If older is offensive to you, then let's deal with offense. You might need to be pastored. Saints, you see, the master's intentions was never about what was produced, but rather about what the work produced in the one's who did accept the invitation. What was the two main common factors between every worker in the vineyard? They required, every single one of them required an invitation. Wow. You're so powerful when you don't require an invitation. You just know you already have one. And number two, whether they knew it or not, all, somebody say all. All of them were making a stand in some form of idleness 
and calling it living in the light. Every single one of them needed an invitation, and every single one of them had to deal with their idleness, whether they called it living or not. I got a time clock thing here. This is a Hebrew day. This is a Hebrew day. And the part that's lit, the first hour, the third hour, the sixth hour, the ninth hour, and the eleventh hour, you might recognize. It was daytime. The time when men worked. But then something came after that, and they didn't call it the hour in which it worked. They called the hour in which they watched. In the night, it was the first watch, second watch, third watch, and fourth watch. And Jesus said, you need to get to work because night is coming when no man can work. Why? Because all they do is watch. All you do is watch. Saints, either you're making a stand inside of darkness or you're living in the light. There's no middle ground. Either you're making your stand in the middle darkness or you're living in the light. How would you know? Because watchers don't work. They just watch. If you're watching and admiring while others reap the harvest, you are standing in darkness, not working in the light. Do you admire other people who are reaping a harvest? You're like, yes, I love that. And by proximity, I feel like the presence of the Lord. That's riding somebody else's coattails. You're watching, you're not working. If you are reaping a harvest of souls and surrounded by new disciples, whether they are stellar in their behavior or not, you are working in the light and being an example for those who are standing idle in the night. Saints, the truth is, even after you receive the invitation, you can still bring darkness into your light. Jesus said it, if the darkness is in you, darkness in you is light, how great the darkness. How many of you are first and third hour Christians? Many of you. How many first and third hour Christians pray for certain families to grow? But now that they are here, you grumble in your hearts because the ninth our laborers who you prayed for in the vineyard get the same treatment that you get. They get the same time that you get. You see some ladder to climb. So when they get a promotion in your eyes, you grumble about it. But it's not a promotion in the eyes of the Lord. It's simply what they're called to be. That is a prison mentality, not kingdom mentality. And you were not intended to make his palace a prison, saints. How many of you ninth hour laborers are sitting in this room here today because the master has drawn you here and you are still waiting for the invitation that's already gone out? What would they have done if this, this sea had split and they just looked at it and marveled at it and thought, man, God, you're awesome. How many of the 11th hour believers actually made it through 
when the sea started collapsing behind them because they were just a little bit behind and doing his will. Saints, if you're here today, don't be so naive to think that you got here by your own power or your own invitation of your loved one. It's the presence of God that puts you in this place that you might hear the truth of God and answer it finally. Because he's called you and he's called you and he's invited you and he's invited you and he's been tugging on your heart and tugging on your heart and tugging on your heart. And you've said no, 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 no. But you can say yes to the dress today. Saints, if we get unified here as one group, one people called to one place to work one harvest for one master to receive one beautiful offering to lay at his feet, there's nothing that can stop us in this place. The souls will be raped right here in this city. But we are going to have to let the vineyard do its work in the workers. Saints work in the vineyard exposed and pruned out the hearts of the workers. It pruned the entitlement. It pruned the competition. It pruned the insecurities. It pruned the pride that so devastates your walk. It pruned it out of the workers. So don't you think that the master of the vineyard knew this would happen? When the only qualifications he required was simply to accept the invitation and agree to receive what was right. Do you care about your own life more than you care about what's right? Do you care about righteousness? I think the Lord's actually moving a bunch of pieces like on a chessboard right now. And his hands upon each one of your lives and your family. And he's like, I'm going to move you over here because I got a checkmate coming for the devil. Right? And some of you are resisting and some of you are saying yes. But if you'll let him move you in life, he can do better with your life than you can do with yourself. Get over yourself and get with God. Don't you think the master was wise enough to base your resume on his character and not on your own stellar behavior? When you gave your life to King Jesus, you gave him your life in exchange for his life. That's called good news. That's because you received what he deserved, not what you deserved. That's also good news. Wow. Then who are the vineyard? Could you look at that vineyard for a minute? Who's working the vineyard? Oh, pitiful, poor, naked, and blind. Pitiful, poor, naked, and blind works the vineyard, and the vineyard works Christ into them. And all of a sudden, right? He makes all things beautiful in his own time. But he replied to them, verse 13, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for one denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. Go. I choose to give to this last worker as I have given to you. I am, am I not allowed, I love this, to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Do you think he was talking about the vineyard? No, he's talking about the worker. Or do you begrudge my generosity? <laughs> so the last will be first and the first will be last. Friends, he says, not a dog, not a slave, friends. He speaks to you as a friend, even though you're not being very friendly in the moment. It's a scary and merciful thing that the master 
has a reason. Has a, it's scary and merciful that he even reasons with you. He doesn't owe you reason, entitled believers, because he already paid you. He already paid the price. Idle people have no desire to work in a vineyard, but he put one in you. You see, you all came to this place really with selfish motives, and the vineyard works them out of you. He knows that about you. So get over yourself and give a God because you already got the invitation no matter whether you have selfish motives or not. You have to let them taste the wine. <laughs> okay. Why work in some place that produces wine in the first place? Because what you bring out, workers, they taste it and they're like, oh, oh, oh. I like that. Where you get that from? Hey, listen, come on. Come on, work in the vineyard. I'm going to do one better for you. I'm going to give you a glass of wine, or I can teach you how to make it. And they're like, I don't know. That sounds good to me. Right? So they come, and they keep on coming. Saints, how are they going to know if you don't go? How are they going to taste and see that the Lord is good if you don't give it to them? Psalm 34, 4, and I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Did they show up to the deliverance or deliverance show up to them? Saints, many people admire what we do here, but those who stick around, they're the only ones that really taste the old wine. They're the ones that really only, people show up on Sunday all the time, and I'm like, amen. That's good. That's taste. But what we do happens in between the meetings, and so those are the people who actually understand and get intoxicated by what the Lord's doing here in this land. God's raising the Gideons 300. He's, ra he's raising a people who work the vineyard and turn around and go give what was worked in the vineyard. Those who have stopped negotiating with God about whether their entire life belongs to God or not. I mean, you should have done that the day that you gave your life to Jesus and not renegotiated ever again. Those who have stopped worrying whether what they get paid. They don't care if they have been working in the kingdom for Jesus for 30 years, they don't care about that stuff anymore. They're willing to lay down what the Lord's given them because they understand the urgency of the 11th hour. They can feel it. They can hear it. In their souls. They are willing to lay everything down because the time is growing. They don't want titles. They don't want fine houses. They don't want recognition nor reputation. They're not living for these things. They don't want retirement. It's not a thing in the Bible. They want souls. Their lives belong to Jesus and their lives are leveraged for the gospel. Saints, those of us in this room that have been serving Jesus for more than a decade should be excited about the chance to bring new souls. They should be excited about the fresh legs that come. They should be excited about the men and women who walk in here and are called to be pastors and all of a sudden they become them. You're not, there's no competition left in your heart. There's no insecurity that says, well, what about me? They don't care about that stuff any longer. Oh, man, well, I've achieved this in the kingdom, so then I should get paid a little more than I got paid on the first day for Jesus. I am owed something. No. 
Lay that garbage down and the next generation will rise because of you. Old legs need fresh legs, saints. Fresh legs need old experience. This is the 11th hour. Time's almost over. And our chance to reap a beautiful harvest is now. Somebody say now. Now. And we're going to do so if we get out, just get over ourselves and get out of the way of God. Because the master of all men, his invitation is constantly going out. Luke 5.33. Back to where we started. And they said to him, the disciples of John fast and offer prayers. And so do the disciples of the Pharisees. You know who the Pharisees were? They were looking to get paid for what was fair. Peace from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If it does, he will tear it. And the peace from the new will not match the old. Doesn't work, so stop trying and no one puts new wine into old wineskins if he does the new will burst the skins and it will be spoiled and the skins will be destroyed man we destroy so many things (laughs) at least opportunities don't we but new wine must be put into fresh wineskins and no one after drinking old wine desires new Man, us charismatics, we love to talk about that new wine. It's a good, it's a terrible destination. Fantastic start, terrible destination, because the old wine's better. Saints' wine was held either in jars of clay or wineskins. And why is that important to you this morning? Because when you put new wine into wineskins, it means you were going somewhere. You were taking it on the go with you. So if your wine was in a, in a jar of clay, it was for your house because there's new wine in this house. Amen. There's old wine in this house, but it's in a jar of clay. But if you were put it into a wine skin, it is because you needed to put it on your side and you were on the move. You were taking it to somebody for somebody. You're getting it this morning. Saints, when Jesus uses the wineskin here, he is making sure that you know that he was talking about a people who would live their life cultivating new wine, but live a life always taking what they were producing to someone else that they could taste and see that the Lord is good. What you make must be taken to them. But you know what? Wineskins were made from leather, sewn together into a bag, often out of goat skin. <laughs> and the seams were sewn and sealed together with resin. You know what that means? Most wineskins were made of two different goat skins that were held together by a glue that would hold them together. You know what that reminds me of? It reminds me of uh, our old stubborn goat-like natures that have been driven more than they are led. It reminds me of many of you and me that are learning to do life together and being bound together by the love of God and held together even though we are old stubborn goats. And it reminds me also of the mercy of God to fill 
an old stubborn goat like people with precious wine because he's willing to work through you so that they get some of what you have. Wine sin came in various sizes. And you know what? When it is empty, what would happen to it? Just dry up and get hard. Is that any of you? Have any of you came to a place where you just feel dry, maybe a little hard? Yeah, that reminds me of the times when I become idle. The first thing that happens is what is that I begin to dry up. And what follows that is a hard heart. I find callous places on my heart. Saints, I've been serving Jesus for 24 years, and at times I felt entitled. I felt entitled to a greater return than what I was receiving. I have complained that other people were advancing while I was not, and I have become overly aware when others get the same return as I do, even though they have done a fraction of the work. And you know what that gets me? Absolutely nowhere. Who wants to go nowhere in life? Who is nowhere in life? Then listen to what the Lord's saying to you this morning. When this happens, wineskins would need to be softened by soaking them and treating them in oil. Prepared to prepare them to hold wine again. (laughs) Some of you need to hear that word because you're not beyond repair. A shriveled up old wineskin is not a pretty thing, but it doesn't mean that its purpose is done. There is hope. There's hope in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's hope in immersing yourself in the oil. There's hope for you dried up wineskins. God loves to bring fresh legs, saints, to those things in your life that just seems to far gone why because it's the 11th hour it's the 11th hour and he needs the workers saints when i have come to these places in my life it's been healing i've come to these places in life of healing and it came to let Me know to let go and let God do what? Strip me of everything. How many of you want to do that? When I come to these places in life, healing only came to me so that I might be empowered to allow God to strip me of everything in my life so that I might be immersed in the Holy Spirit until I felt the oil of his anointing again. Man, if you live a little bit in the kingdom, if you work the vineyard, you're going to get to a dry place. But it's only because God's going to allow you to feel the anointing oil once again. And the only way you get that is to saturate that old dry goat skin of yours into his anointing so that he might see that you can live again. It's not because of you. It's for him. There's a harvest of souls that need to be won. And he knows he's willing to deal with you. He'll raise you from the dead if necessary. The 
But you know what? I found that when God desired to invite me into something that was totally next level, something that was totally radically different than before and altogether new for me, you know what? My old way of life, my old way of thinking, my old way of operating, my old way of breathing had to be surrendered so that I could receive it. Luke 5, 37, and no one puts new wine into old wine skins. If he does, new wine will burst the skins, and it will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. He cares more for you than that. You need to care more for you than that. Every time the invitation goes out to you, it must be received on his terms, not yours. Are you following me this morning? His terms, not yours. And he will give you what is right. I'm winding this message down now. Do you want to see a radical end time harvest, saints? Do you want to be part of it, a radical end time harvest? Do you want to finish better than you started? Then no one after drinking the old wine, uh, new wine, or old wine, wants the new. Here's the truth for you this morning. New wine is good, but old wine's better. And most believers have never experienced it because they just keep trying to receive new revelation, but add it to the old way of thinking, old way of life, old way of living, old way of operating. It will not work. Experience. Why not just abandon all? It worked for you the first time. <laughs> you think it won't work now? Why not abandon all? Why not sell all? Why not give all? It worked for you in the most radical, transformative time of your life. Why do you think it won't happen now? Are you still running on yesterday's fumes? You can get somewhere. You just can't get there. You know that place. There. Where you're still trying to get to. I don't want to present old goat skins to my God. I don't want to. I want to present to him something fresh and new. You know the beautiful thing about wine? New wineskin and new wineskins, they grow together. They grow together. That's how they survive the new anointing. That's how they survive the new season in life. That's how they survive what's coming next. Wow. And then whereas old wine, guess what? That old wine is rich. It's potent. It's powerful. It's toxicating. Mm. You know what? When you can't be taught about it, you can only experience it. Or you just settle for the new wine over and over and over again. Today, the beginning of tasting old wine is to begin to live out old ways in your Bible. So all, we look at our word and we call it archaic. We call it everything else as though it was good for them but not good for now. But we need to return back to live like the apostles lived, like Paul lived, right, like Jesus lived. Do you know the apostles lived like it was the 11th hour? Oh, yeah. Paul lived like it was the 11th hour. John lived on the Isle of Patmos because he knew it was the 11th hour. 
Jesus lived like it was the 11th hour. And this is what the Spirit is saying to the churches right now. There is no time to waste. It is the 11th hour. Jesus said it. It's true. It's now. It's getting dark outside. Spiritually, you can see the sun going down. Many of you have wasted your life on saving your life when Jesus is the only one that can do that. It's time that you waste your life on Jesus and he will save it. It's time that you waste your life on him. Wasting your life on Jesus is no waste at all. The time is ticking by. Matthew 24, 36 says this. But concerning the day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the son, but only the father. That was the reason that he held that to himself. It's supposed to be healthy for you. For as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the coming of the son of man. In the days before the flood, there were eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage until Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will it be in the coming of the Son of Man. On the piano for me, Devin. What is keeping you from answering the call this morning? Are you waiting for an invitation? Because you got one. What's keeping you from answering the call? Do you think you already answered it? Because you answered it in the first hour? Or the third hour? Or the sixth hour? Or the ninth hour? Is that your excuse? Because it's the 11th hour. And night is coming where no man can work. You must answer the call. What is it? Are you the prophet hiding in the cave, waiting just to kill himself like Elijah? You're resting on your accomplishment from many years before? What is it? Because the clock is about to stop ticking. silence is a loud voice are you the widow preparing your last meal for you and your son to just go and die are you the woman at the well contemplating your next marriage because you think that's the answer are you the disciple who rejected Jesus and you're sure it's over, so it's just time to quit. Are you the doubting Thomas refusing to move forward because of your broken heart? Are you those who are settled with just being awakening, awakened, but not getting put to work what's been given to you? 
that would make you a watcher in the night, standing in darkness. Are you the workers that God said, be here now? Because what I'm going to do in you will not any longer be for you. It's going to be for them. And those who God's gathering here. The truth is every man has an excuse at some point in his life. Whether you are a young man or a child, young man, a father in the faith, you're all susceptible to stopping. But the government will be on his shoulders. And he would be the governor of an ever-increasing kingdom that continues to echo, come, come, come all who are weary. Come, all who are thirsty. Come and buy what you, come get what you cannot afford. Come and receive what you could not purchase. Come. Come. It's the 11th hour. Time is fleeting. It's the rate of decay, and you can feel it. And you've been given life, and they're still participating in death. And you must receive a greater experience and a greater anointing. You need a new transformation for a new wineskin. Don't be a spectator. Be a participator and stand up and step into the presence of God and say yes to him because you can feel urgency you can feel the mercy and the grace of the defibrillators on your chest trying to awaken you to the reality of the kingdom and the times in which we live in awake saints and arise and work what is given to you stand with me this morning